a focused summary of chapters 12 and 15 of Pride and Prejudice. The next morning, Elizabeth and Jane write to their mother and ask that the carriage be sent for them in the course of the day. But Mrs. Bennet, who had calculated on them staying longer, sends them word that they could not possibly have it before Tuesday. Elizabeth is resolved to impose no longer, and at her urging, Jane asks to borrow Mr. Bingley's carriage immediately. Miss Bingley professes a disingenuous wish that they might stay at least till the following day, and then regrets it when her wish is granted. Mr. Bingley expresses real sorrow that they are to go so soon, but Jane, resolved that it is right, cannot be persuaded to extend her stay. Mr. Darcy is glad to hear they are going, having discovered that Elizabeth attracts him more than he likes. He resolves to be particularly careful that no sign of his admiration should escape him, and when once they are left alone together, he conscientiously buries himself in a book. To the delight of Miss Bingley and Elizabeth, the separation finally takes place. Mrs. Bennet is not happy to welcome them home, but their father, who had felt the loss of all sense and animation in their absence, is glad to see them. Mary greets them with new observations of threadbare morality, and Catherine and Lydia with gossip about the officers. The next day at breakfast, Mr. Bennet tells his wife that they are expecting a guest at dinner that night, and her eyes sparkle when she learns that the visitor is a gentleman and a stranger. After amusing himself with their curiosity, he informs the family that they will be joined by Mr. Collins, the cousin on whom their property has been entailed. Mrs. Bennet cries that she cannot bear to hear the odious man mentioned, and rails against the cruelty of having to settle the estate away from their family. But Mr. Bennet says that perhaps Mr. Collins' letter to them will soften her feelings about him. The letter expresses an intriguing and sometimes comical blend of servility and self-importance. He boasts of having been distinguished by the patronage of Lady Catherine de Bourgh, and says it will be his utmost endeavor to demean himself to her with grateful respect. He comes to the Bennets with blessings of peace and the offer of an olive branch, and he calls his own actions highly commendable. And he alludes mysteriously to his intention to make every possible amends. Mr. Bennet wryly mocks Mr. Collins' polite and obsequious tone. Mrs. Bennet is smugly satisfied with his desire to make amends. Jane is warmly praising of his efforts to atone. Elizabeth, observing the oddities in his expression, wonders if he can be a sensible man, and Mr. Bennet expresses a hope, for the sake of his own entertainment, that he is quite the reverse. Mary comments favorably on his letter's composition. Catherine and Lydia are not the least interested in him or his letter, since neither has anything to do with officers. Mr. Collins, a tall, heavy-looking young man with a grave and stately manner, arrives in a timely fashion and greets the Bennets with gallantry. When Mrs. Bennet at once alludes to the entail of the estate, he begins to explain the manner in which he intends to make amends when they are interrupted with a summons to dinner. When he asks to which of his cousins he owes the excellency of the cooking, Mrs. Bennet is offended at the suggestion that they can't keep a cook and he spends the next quarter of an hour apologizing. After dinner, feeling obliged to make conversation with his guest, Mr. Bennet starts with the subject of Lady Catherine de Bourgh, sure it is one in which Mr. Collins will shine. 
Indeed, he speaks at length and with more solemnity than ever of her graciousness, affability, and condescension. Mrs. Bennet says it is a pity not all great ladies are like her, and asks about her home and family. Mr. Collins tells her that Lady Catherine has just one daughter, a superior beauty, by her mother's judgment, because of the features that mark her of distinguished birth. But, he says, her sickly constitution has prevented her from making progress in accomplishments or being presented at court. When Mr. Collins congratulates himself on the little compliments he pays Lady Catherine and her daughter, sometimes planning them in advance, but always endeavoring to give them an unstudied air, Mr. Bennet is delighted by the discovery that his cousin is every bit as absurd as he had hoped. When the entertainment has worn thin, Mr. Bennet invites Mr. Collins into the drawing room and suggests that he read to the ladies. He readily assents, but rejects the suggestion of a novel, saying he never reads them, and chooses Fordyce's sermons instead. Not three pages in, Lydia interrupts with gossip about the officers. With an air of offense and a tone of condescension, he lays the book aside, saying he will no longer importune his cousin with his beneficial instruction, and offers to play backgammon with Mr. Bennet instead. Though Mrs. Bennet apologizes most civilly, he cannot be persuaded to resume his book. As Mr. Bennet predicted, Mr. Collins is not a sensible man. Due to his deficiencies of nature, poor upbringing, and inadequate education— The combination of his veneration for his patroness and pride in her appointment of him make him a strange mixture of humility and self-importance. Having now a good house and a sufficient income, the atonement he planned to make his cousins was to marry one of them, if they proved to be as handsome and amiable as he had heard. They did not disappoint, and by the first evening, Jane is his settled choice. But realizing his intentions— Mrs. Bennet has to hint to him that Jane is soon to be engaged. And not moments later, Mr. Collins changes from Jane to Elizabeth. Mrs. Bennet, elated at the prospect of two daughters married, now holds high in her good graces this man about whom she could not speak the day before. The next day, all the girls but Mary were planning a walk to Meryton, and Mr. Bennet, eager to enjoy again the leisure and tranquility of his private library, urges Mr. Collins to attend them. Mr. Collins, better fitted as a walker than a reader, agrees to go. Entering Meryton, the attention of every lady is caught by a young man they had never seen before, walking with Mr. Denny. Determined to find out who he is, Kitty and Lydia cross the street under the pretense of wanting something in the opposite shop. Mr. Denny addresses them directly and introduces his friend, Mr. Wickham, who, they are delighted to learn, has accepted a commission in their corps. In the conversation that follows, they determine him to be not only handsome and gentlemanly, but agreeable and unassuming. As they are talking, Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy ride up. Bingley says he had been on his way to Longbourn to inquire after Jane, and Darcy endeavors not to fix his eyes on Elizabeth. When, instead, his eyes meet those of Wickham, Elizabeth is astonished to see a change in both countenances, one turning white and the other red. She longs to know the meaning of this encounter. After the two men ride off, Mr. Collins accompanies the Bennet ladies to Mrs. Phillips' house. 
she receives him with politeness, and he greets her with his usual exaggerated civility. Her attention is taken from Mr. Collins when the young ladies begin clamoring for information about Mr. Wickham, but she has little to tell. She promises to invite Mr. Wickham to join the other officers who are to dine with them the next evening, if the Longbourn family will come too. The girls happily agree and depart in good spirits. On the walk home, Elizabeth relates to Jane what she had seen pass between Darcy and Wickham, and Jane is no better able to explain such behavior than Elizabeth could. Upon their return, Mr. Collins gratifies Mrs. Bennet by admiring her sister's manners, saying that aside from Lady Catherine and her daughter, he had never seen a more elegant woman, and had never met with such attention in the whole course of his life.' 